Philippine inflation eases for a fourth straight month. The appointments of Gilbert Teodoro Jr. and Dr. Ted Herbosa as Defense and Health Chiefs getting mixed reactions. We'll be speaking with health reform advocate Dr. Tony Liatron later on the new health chief. The low-pressure area east of eastern Visayas develops into a tropical depression, Chedeng. And the White House slams China's recent actions in the Taiwan Strait and South China Sea. I'm Stanley Palisada. Daytime Philippines begins right now. For those of you watching us on YouTube and Facebook, nice to have you with us. Dennis Mapa relation has slowed down as some commodity groups registered lower inflation rates, including transport costs at negative 0.5%, which can be attributed to the decrease in gasoline and diesel prices. Other commodity groups with lower inflation rates are food and non-alcoholic beverages at 7.4% and restaurants and accommodation services at 8.3% inflation rate. However, higher inflation rates compared to April were recorded in furnishings, household equipment, and routine household maintenance at 6.3%, and recreation, sports, and culture at 4.9%. The National Economic and Development Authority attributes the easing of food. The headline inflation, a good signal that we're seeing the... Uh, the decline. In fact, I was actually looking at 6.5%, almost unchanged. But again, uh, I think the key factor to watch really is uh, we're able to look at uh, probably looking at testing the 5%. Mm -hmm. uh, in the second half of the year. Core inflation is quite high. And this is something uh, that you, you want to be able to uh, focus on. So I'm still sticking to probably another, uh, after this pause, uh, maybe there could be another 25 basis point hike mm. before end of the year. That's the latest from the PSA's inflation report. Back to you, Stanley. All right, thank you so much for the update, Lady Vicentro. The Philippine government is selling about 2.5 billion pesos worth of assets to generate much-needed cash. Some real estate experts see this as an opportunity, but a partialist group believes otherwise. Lady Vicentro returns with his report. The Privatization and Management Office is selling 143 government assets. The Department of Finance expects to generate 2.54 billion pesos from this to fund the state's priority projects. Among the properties in the list are assets in Metro Manila, such as the Elordes Sports and Tourism Development Corporation and Emanuel Community Hospital in Tondo, Manila. Properties of the abolished Technology Research Center in different regions are also up for grabs. Collier's International Associate Research Director Joey Bondok believes some of the assets are in prime locations that are due for redevelopment. He says it's a win-win situation for the government and interested property firms. Those have very high traffic uh, uh, properties. For the government, of course, it enables them to raise um, non-tax revenues. But also for the developers, they will now have access to these very good uh, properties that they can redevelop into what? Integrated communities, master plan communities, um, office buildings, um, malls, um, and even hotels. 
Bondock says even though interest rates are high, making it more expensive to buy real estate using loans, the government shouldn't have a problem selling. Architect June Palafox says the asset sales could have been more profitable for government if the constitution didn't ban foreigners from buying and owning property here. The Philippines is 400 times the size of Singapore, 350 times the size of Hong Kong, eight times the size of Taiwan, three times the size of South Korea. And many countries in the world, including Dubai, they allow foreign ownership of land or leasehold for a long time. In fact, in Dublin, our companies, yan, siyempre yung una nilang intention dyan, bakit sila nag-invest dyan, eh, tubo. Kaya hindi ko maintindihan ng gobyerno na nagbibenta uh, ng shares and legs na napakahalaga sana na, na foothold ba? Meron ka doon at least say sa loob ng korporasyon na yan para madepensahan mo naman ang tao kung sakaling mag impose sila ng mga unjust toll rate increases. DA Market Securities Chief Equity Strategist Nisha Aliser meanwhile noted that the government might have a hard time selling its shares in NLEX Corporation and Shaw AB. The head of the Philippines' Sugar Regulatory Administration alarmed by the slowdown of uh, sugar local production, particularly refined sugar. Jervis Manahan joins us with details. Hi Jervis, go ahead. Yes, Stanley, SRA Administrator Pablo Azcona has announced that there is a significant drop in refined sugar production in the country. He estimates that refined sugar production dropped by 100,000 metric tons this year. He attributes the drop to bad weather. Azcona says that rains in Bacolod makes it hard for farmers to harvest sugar cane. Refineries are fueled by what they call bagas. Stanley um, uh, Pablo Azcona of the Sugar Regulatory Administration said that they are in the process of consulting with different sugar stakeholders, farmers, and groups before they come up with a final sugar order. All right. They will be meeting soon to discuss uh, these details. Uh, meantime, it seems like importation is in fact the option to a possible sugar supply shortage. Is there a timeline at least as to when they are trying to import? Yes, uh, Stanley, um, possibly the, the imported sugar should arrive based uh, uh, on the pronouncements made by the SRA administrator earlier this. There are still no buyers to pick them up. Some of them are starting to rot. Farmers who harvested them are incurring heavy losses. Dahil nga ayaw nang mabili. Lalo po yung mga nakikibukid lang, yung mga planters. Inaasahan lang uh, yun lang ang kanilang kuhan. Pambili ng kung ano-ano, gas uli. Pag di ka naman nagtanim uli, di ka na makakabawi. Farmers attribute the oversupply of squashes to simultaneous planting after getting a good profit last season. January, medyo maganda po ang presyo. Ngayon po, naging second crop yung mga uh, pa. Umaasay. Eh, hindi naman po mabibili. Ala na po. Talaga pong alang pang ano sa pamilya. Maghihintay lang po kami ng sino man po ang magandang loob na, na bibili. The Municipal Agriculturist says 100 hectares of land in Zaragoza have been planted with squashes. But the farmers have to compete with produce from other towns. This is the second time they encounter this problem after the COVID lockdowns in 2020. Squash has only last for two to three months. Once they rot, 
meanwhile provides advice on how to avoid a similar problem in the future. Napag may plano kasi eh, para hindi yung sabay-sabay tapos nagkakaroon din ng, ng problema sa, sa, sa oversupply. Uh, isa pa dyan, siguro yung dun sa on the supply chain, including yung atin pong kung may value chain man, dapat may processing po tayo na, na supporta dyan. The farmers are hoping to get transportation and post-processing facilities for their produce. Jervis Manahan, ABS-CBN News. President Marcos's latest cabinet appointments getting mixed reactions. On Monday, Malacanang announced the return of Gilbert Eudoro Jr. as Defense Secretary and Dr. Ted Herbosa's appointment as Health Chief. The two took their oaths before the President this morning. House Speaker Martin Romualdez said Eudoro and Herbosa are welcome additions who will strengthen President Marcos's official family. Senate President Mig Zubiri adds the appointments add address two of the greatest challenges that the country is facing, territorial integrity and the COVID-19 pandemic. Human rights group Karapatan, however, fears rights violations during Chidoro's first stint as the Defense Department during the Iroy administration could happen again. The record ni Gilbert Chidoro, nung Defense Secretary siya ni uh, former President Gloria Macapagal Arroyo, medyo masama eh. Ang DND Secretary sana should see through all those red tagging and uh, yung lumalaganap na walang pakundangan. Walang pakundangan kasi eh, yung pagdisregard sa nabatang pantao. Meanwhile, Herbosa's pledged to sustain the gains of universal health care as well as strengthen health sector strategy interventions and introduce health care reforms. But a health workers group is dismayed with this appointment. Matagal na tayong nananawagan na magkaroon talaga ng isang Secretary of Health na yung ating criteria ay dapat pro-people, pro-health worker, walang bahid ng corruption at uh, talagang mabilis yung malapitan ng ating mga healthcare workers at iba pang mga mamayan po natin. Pero nalismaya lang tayo. Meantime, let's get another reaction to the appointment of Dr. Ted Herbosa as Health Chief. We're joined by... Uh, Health Reform Advocate, Dr. Tony Liachon. Good afternoon, Dr. Liachon. Welcome to Dateline Philippines. Uh, good afternoon, Stanley, and uh, um, thank you for this uh, particular opportunity to comment on the appointment of Secretary Ted Arbosa. All right, let's get started. Finally, we have a new health secretary after a long wait. It's Dr. Ted Herbosa. First, the reaction to his appointment. Well, uh, based on my uh, post uh, last night, I would like to believe that uh, um, he's a qualified um, leader in the health sector, mm. considering the following. Um, uh, in academics, he's a professor of uh, surgery and the head of the emergency department at the Philippine General Hospital. Okay. So that speaks um, of... Uh, responding to calamities and disasters. Mm -hmm. Number two, he was executive vice president of the University of the Philippine System in 2016. And I was able to work uh, with Ted Erbosa for almost uh, two decades. And the most significant one was in 2012 when he was uh, undersecretary of the Department of Health under Dr. Enrique Onas. 
term. Okay. And I was appointed as one peso consultant, and that led this, that partnership with the medical community and the legislators led to the uh, landmark uh, syntax law of 2012. And that also would fund the universal healthcare implementation that was actually started during the time of Secretary Ona, and it was signed February of 2019. Um, he was also um, part of the National Task Force. I was a member uh, of the National Task Force for COVID on March, March of 2020, together with uh, uh, Secretary Ted Bosa. So both in the COVID pandemic, as well as uh, addressing universal healthcare, and uh, his experience as a former undersecretary, as well as um, um, his strength in terms of uh, providing support to the medical community as a knowledge expert and a opinion leaders. I think um, he's qualified uh, okay. for that particular job. Okay, it's one thing to say he's qualified uh, in the public health sector, which he will be handling. And it's also a different thing when you talk about personal uh, attributes. So oh, what do you think are his strengths uh, to ably hold the position? Having known him better and having worked with him for a couple of engagements in the past. The, the main strength of uh, Secretary Ted Erbosa is actually in um, alliances with the medical sector, particularly with the Philippine Medicalization, the Philippine mm. College of Surgeons, and uh, the Philippine College of Physicians, and also with the Philippine Hospital Association uh, after working for so many years at the Philippine General Hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, his strength is also on uh, calamities and disaster and emergency. Mm -hmm. uh, but the greatest challenge would be is actually execution um, considering that um, he would be facing the burden of addressing um, the new data from the Philippine Statistics Authority, that is uh, heart attacks, number one, mm -hmm. uh, number two, strokes, number three, uh, cancer, number four, chronic obstructive lung disease, and of course, uh, the diabetes and the obesity pandemic. And as a surgeon, he would need support from the medical community in order to craft uh, certain policies to actually curb the rising uh, uh, epidemic as well, not only COVID, but the non-communicable diseases. And as a surgeon, he would need the, uh, the support of the uh, internal medicine, the family medicine, and other policy makers. Okay. Um, I think that would be uh, you know, a big challenge as well as um, coordination with the other, uh, um, uh, of course, healthcare workers, right. uh, considering the migration of healthcare workers yeah. in the Philippines. And of course, the addressing the alleged uh, if inefficiency and alleged corruption in the uh, field health, as okay. well as the promise of the president to establish specialty hospitals in peripheral areas outside of the national capital region. And you have five years to go. Uh, the, the president uh, has only five years, and um, you need really sense of urgency and agility. And he needs right now the help of many 
uh, doctors as well as uh, many alliances. Okay, so he seems to have a lot on his plate with so little time. Uh, he has uh, several challenges that he has to face, one of which is closing uh, down our COVID situation. Uh, what are your expectations from him in terms of COVID response, picking it up from here? Well, last night well, we had an exchange of texts and uh, he said that uh, I, I would need your support and the support of the other health advocates. Uh, and he said, Tony, please continue to become a, to be a health advocate because we need ideas coming from the private sector as well. Mm -hmm. The second is that uh, we would be um, meeting this week uh, the health advocates who help in the COVID pandemic and he would like to, you know, get the suggestions on how to move forward and uh, we're looking forward to meeting him this week uh, and this would be sponsored by uh, Go Negosio Chair uh, Joey Concepcion uh -huh. and we hope to give you some updates um, after this particular meeting so you know the the channels the communication channels are open and I think it's about time that we move forward to meet the demands of the people and of course uh, of course, address the SONA promises of the president. Okay, now uh, there seems to be an overwhelming positive response to the appointment of uh, Dr. Erbosa, but again, there are other sectors that have apprehensions. Some groups have, even have marching orders for Dr. Erbosa, among these the health workers group, of course, challenging him to address the health worker shortage, address the root causes such as compensation and benefits. How do you envision this to pan out under his leadership? I think the Dr. Bosa should, in my own opinion, humble opinion, is to conduct a summit. Mm -hmm. Let's say um, 50 of the best and the brightest, uh, you know, thinkers, perhaps a one-day meeting and get their inputs. Um, Concerning the healthcare workers, you need to work with the Philippine Medical Association in the medical societies and the Philippine uh, Nurses Association and these uh, healthcare workers that we are addressing right now. Their concerns are actually valid mm. and we should not turn a blind eye. And I think the only way to appease them is actually fulfill uh, the salaries and benefits that uh, are promised and to provide better opportunities locally which they are looking right now uh, on the other side you know, the, to seek greener pasture um, in other countries. And they think the, the, the bedrock or the foundation of healthcare uh, in the country is actually addressing the ones who would care for the patients and that is the healthcare workers. And I think the um, healthcare workers alliances uh, concerns are truly valid and, and this must be uh, address with sense of urgency and agility. Yes, another aspect is universal health care. We've been talking about this for quite some time now. Uh, how do you envision universal health care worker uh, to really progress uh, in so short a time, five years at that? Well, I think we're delayed uh, because of the pandemic. It was signed in February 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the biggest uh, concern here is actually funding. And you can see right now from the signs and symptoms, the president has been uh, pushing for the Maharlika well funds. Mm -hmm. And you can see that we might be needing funds. But um, the the way to solve the implementation of the universal health care law, because this would need budget, is actually try to review 
the same tax because mm -hmm. it has quadrupled the budget of the Department of Health from 50 billion in 2012 to around 250 to around 300 billion. So we need to address um, uh, the money. Where is it right now? Is it being given right now to the proper uh, needs? And we need to address also uh, wastage of um, drugs, uh, vaccines, as well as the alleged inefficiency of the services at the PHIC. You know that the out-of-pocket expenses is Stanley is about 57 percent, mm -hmm. and the long-term plan for universal health care law is about 10 years. So if you would decrease the out-of-pocket expenses by at least 30 percent in five years' time by 2028, that's a big achievement for Secretary Ted Erbosa and the President. And I think you need right now not only the help of the medical community, but also the private sector on how to fund the universal health care law. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, realistically, Dr. Yachon, we're talking about uh, an enormous amount of responsibilities for Dr. Erbosa with so little time to achieve all of this. Uh, we also know that, uh, well, being at the helm of the Department of Health, it is uh, a lot of moving parts there, uh, a lot of things beyond his control. Uh, it may also be a highly politicized position. Now, what is your word of caution for Dr. Herbosa moving forward? Uh, I, I think the only way for Dr. Ted Herbosa to move faster is based on the African proverb. Mm. Um, if you will do it alone, you can move quickly, but you cannot go further without the help of people. So what I would like to suggest to Dr. Erbosa is to call up a summit mm. and call up a strategic meeting. Where are we right now on the healthcare system? Where do we want to go? And how do we get there? And then if you have big audacious goals, let's say, you know, 10 audacious goals, then you have to provide a team leader for each and then meet on a monthly basis on how to address that. And, and then he can focus on the big ticket items based on the promises of the the president mm -hmm. and i think that would be um, the ideal setting working in the corporate world you, you need right now to distribute right now and empower people not only at the department of health but also at the private sector because there are many people who are willing to help uh, but they are not someone to lead particularly in this particular setup all right, on that note, we thank you so much for sharing with us your insights, Dr. Tony Lyachon. Thank you, uh, and uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Stanley, and thank you very much for the opportunity. And then uh, to comment on the appointment of Secretary Herbosa, and to Ted, uh, congratulations and more power. Uh, God bless you, and uh, God bless also your directions and, and of course, your health. All right, we hope to see you again soon, uh, Dr. Yachan. Moving on, an official of the Philippine Coast Guard slams China's defense minister for dodging the questions during the Shangri-La dialogue in Singapore. Details of that story and more when Dateline Philippines returns. You're still watching Dateline Philippines. The low-pressure area off the waters of eastern Visayas has developed into a tropical depression, Chedeng. Let's find out how this will affect the country's weather from ABS-CBN's resident meteorologist, Ariel Rojas. Hi, Ariel.
Hi, good afternoon, Stanley. The low pressure area east of eastern Visayas developed into a tropical depression and was given the local name Chedeng at 8 this morning. Tropical depression Chedeng was last spotted 1,170 kilometers east of southeastern Luzon, packing winds of 45 kilometers per hour near its center and with gusts up to 55 kilometers per hour. It is almost stationary at the moment. No direct effect on the country's weather is expected as Chedeng is not forecast to approach nor make landfall over any part of the country. Hoisting of wind signal is therefore not expected. However, enhancement of southwest monsoon or habagat may happen, which will mean monsoon rains over most of Luzon by weekend. Chedeng will track northwestward before turning northwards. It will intensify further into a tropical storm by tomorrow and even reach typhoon category Thursday until weekend. It may exit the Philippine area of responsibility by Monday next week. This forecast will still change, so please continue monitoring updates on this weather disturbance. And today, Tuesday, weak habagat affects and brings scattered rains over Palawan. The early thunderstorms also formed this morning and brought rains over Aurora, Quezon, Marinduque, Romblon, Catanduanes, parts of Panay, Camigin, and Basinan. But later this afternoon and evening, intense thunderstorms are also expected over Ilocos region, Cordillera, Central Luzon, and almost the entire Mindanao. Flash flooding and landslides are likely or possible in these areas. And here in Metro Manila, the sky is now overcast and rays are expected this afternoon and evening. That's the latest on the weather. Back to you, Stanley. All right. Thank you so much, Ariel Rojas. On to the simmering tensions between the U.S. and China. The White House slams China's recent actions in the Taiwan Strait and South China Sea, saying it reflects Beijing's growing aggressiveness. On Sunday, Washington released a video of what it called an unsafe interaction between U.S. and Chinese warships in the Taiwan Strait. The U.S. says what China did raised the risk of people getting hurt. Sadly, Ed, these are uh, part and parcel of uh, an increasing level of aggressiveness by uh, the PLA, the PRC's military, uh, in particularly in the area of the Taiwan Straits and in the South China Sea. One, the air, air intercept was over the South China Sea, and the maritime intercept that you talk about was in the Straits. Um, and sadly, this is just part uh, again of a growing aggressiveness by the PRC that we're that we're dealing with, and we're prepared to address it. China's aggressive actions have also pushed the Philippines to boost security cooperation with Indo-Pacific allies. For De La Salle University International Studies Professor Renato De Castro, China and the U.S. should keep their communication lines open. In the light of the tension surrounding, of course, the strategic competition, there is really a need for a dialogue. This, of course, mm -hmm. is the American position uh, that will have communication. But I think the Chinese see this as an indication of weakness on the part of the United States. So they're putting pressure by basically cutting off communication. This has always been uh, the Chinese game plan. The spokesperson of the Philippine Coast Guard, meanwhile, hits China's top defense official for evading his questions during the Shangri-La dialogue in Singapore. Commodore Jay Tariela said he asked Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu about Beijing's aggressive action in Philippine waters. But Li dodged it. There's always been a disconnect with what they are saying and what they are doing on the ground. Um, I made an example that um, when you know, President Marcos went to Beijing last January, 
Um, there were a discussion about peaceful settlement of dispute, um, no harassment of Filipino fishermen, no harassment of uh, government ships, whether Philippine Navy or the Philippine Coast Guard. And then within that month, there was already a reported harassment of Filipino fishermen in Palawan. And then the following month, there was also um, there were already a laser incident uh, against uh, China for the Philippine Coast Guard. Besides from uh, my question, there are a lot of questions thrown at him, but mm. uh, it is um, unfortunate that um, he has. It's either he will evade the question or just uh, you know choose not to respond. A former U.S. defense official also calls out China for posing as a victim when it comes to maritime issues. During the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore, China's defense minister called on other countries to stop sending their warships and aircraft into other territories. But Elbridge Colby, former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Strategy and Force Development, says those comments from China reek of hypocrisy given its intrusion in Philippine waters. Really pretty galling hypocrisy in the case of China to be talking about freedom of navigation and not bullying countries. And then, and then of course, to, to evade a question from a Philippine representative was very, very telling. But we're dealing with a, a dragon, a behemoth, if you will, and we need to treat it accordingly. But I think the main thing there is that China can't claim to be an innocent and aggrieved sort of little, little party. And then at the same time, you know, build up its military and throw its weight around. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin also sought to strengthen cooperation with Southeast Asia's defense ministers. Austin underscored the vital role of ASEAN defense leaders in addressing regional challenges, including Myanmar's political situation and the ongoing war in Ukraine. He also vows America's deep commitment in helping the countries. The Southeast Asian defense ministers, meanwhile, reaffirmed their support for Washington's cooperative activities in the region, including its regional maritime security initiatives. Ukrainian forces have gained ground in Bakhmut, which has been at the heart of fierce fighting between Moscow and Kiev. The founder of the Russian mercenary group Wagner also said Ukrainian armed forces have taken back some land north of Bakhmut. Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Maliar said the Ukrainian offensive is taking place in several directions in the eastern part of the country. It is unclear, though, whether this was the start of the long-awaited Ukrainian counter-offensive. But it comes after Moscow claimed on Monday it had repelled a Ukrainian attack in Donetsk, killing some 250 troops. Former U.S. Vice President Mike Pence launches his bid for the Republican presidential nomination. Pence has officially filed paperwork to join an increasingly crowded field of Republicans running for president. He will formally launch his campaign with a town hall event in the early voting state of Iowa on Wednesday. Pence will go against his former boss, Donald Trump, who currently leads the Republican race. Brazil unveils a plan to stop deforestation in the Amazon by 2030. President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva revealed the plan, touting it as the latest step in their aggressive platform to combat climate change. It employs strengthened law enforcement against environmental crimes, as well as advanced techniques using satellite imagery 
or tracking legal deforestation. It also sets up a system to certify the origins of wood and agricultural products that may have come from exploited ecosystems. Mainly because of the Amazon rainforest, Brazil is largely responsible for the world's climate balance. That is why stopping deforestation in the Amazon is also a way to reduce global warming. I know the size of the challenge of ending deforestation by 2030, but this is a challenge we are determined to achieve with the measures we announced today and more that will be announced and adopted further on. Back here at home, the Council of UN Special Rapporteur Irene Khan clarifies their motion to intervene in Maria Ressa's cyber libel conviction is not an interference in local court proceedings. Attorney Dean Rodel Taton says the UN Rapporteur for Freedom of Expression is only volunteering to appear as an uh, amicus curiae or a friend of the court since her opinion about the crimes of libel and defamation might be very relevant considering her expertise. We are looking at the, the appreciation and consideration by by our by our court, the highest court in the country, particularly that in the past, based on the decisions by by the court, the the discussions on human rights is and the protection of human rights is is given is given attention to. And I think with the experts like the special rapporteur would be presenting their opinions on the on the matter. This may not necessarily be influential, really. I mean, their recommendations are mere recommendations, and their opinions are mere opinions. But this may probably shed light on on the many issues that that are around this this legal questions in in the country. Ressa and former rappler writer Reynaldo Santos were sentenced to up to six years in prison for an article defaming businessman Wilfredo King in June of 2020. The fire that gutted the historic Manila Central Post Office last month deemed an accident. According to the Philippine Postal Corporation, it already got a fire clearance certificate from the Bureau of Fire Protection, which said the blaze originated at the basement where office supplies, thinners and paint cans were piled close to car batteries. Now, the presence of those combustible materials influenced heat buildup, which led to the explosion and the ensuing fire. Field Post said the BFP has declared the investigation closed and solved. Now, the May 21 fire left an estimated 300 million pesos in damages. A special committee was created by the Senate to oversee the historic landmarks rehabilitation. The Philippine Consulate General in Calgary kicked off Filipino Heritage Month with a month-long exhibit showcasing the artistic work of Filipinos in the city. Gianna Lisanko has that story. Building on its program of cultural diplomacy, the Philippine Consulate General in Calgary opened its Malaya exhibit that featured Filipino-Canadian artists. The exhibit, which opened on June 1st, is part of the Filipino Heritage Month celebration in Alberta and Saskatchewan. It's also part of the commemoration for the 125th Philippine Independence Day this June 12th. Itong Malaya Art Exhibit is a month-long uh, exhibit where we are featuring six uh, Filipino artists from Calgary. No? I'm thankful to these artists because they are expressing no, the arts in the Philippine context. So many of them are uh, 
you know, uh, depicting lives in the Philippines, you know, Filipino uh, women and men, you know, and sceneries in the Philippines. So this is another way of educating the Canadian public what the Philippines is about. Among the artists featured at the exhibit are Dey Pajarillo, Audrey Santos, Thea Galang, Rael Ramirez, Gladys Kay, Alan Rosales, and Von Zuniga of the Philippine Kasaganaan Collective. The first, Rosales says they formed the group three years ago and later on received grants from various organizations. The group worked together to paint murals that highlight the Filipino culture. We started getting grants from the city of Calgary. We got uh, grants from the Bump uh, Mural Festival as well as Calgary Arts Development. And we had the pleasure of putting together the first uh, Filipino murals of our culture in Calgary. Artists Audrey Santos and Gladys K. share they drew inspiration for their artwork from their Filipino heritage. These images are images from my childhood growing up in the Philippines. So I grew up making paper boats and paper airplanes. And so the theme of this exhibit is about, is Malaya, is freedom. So I, I don't think I've, I think being a child has this freedom that you can never have again as an adult. My inspiration comes from my environment, the, the things around me, but for, for this particular gallery itself, uh, I was inspired by just the nostalgia of being Filipino, just to reconnect with my roots. Artist Day Pajarillo, who worked as a barista when she first came to Canada 15 years ago, eventually pursued her passion for painting and hopes to showcase her work in other parts of the country. I feel honored uh, to be part of this uh, Philippine cultural and heritage exhibit. This is my heart. <laughs> Painting is life. The youngest featured artist is 17-year-old Thea Galang, who will just be starting her fine arts degree at the Alberta University of the Arts this fall. Galang gave this advice to young Filipino-Canadian artists like her. Especially those who, you know, in the past have to choose between their own heritage or being Canadian. I say don't choose, embrace both identities, and especially as an artist for myself, I've learned to embrace both identities and my art, and have always found home in each one. Interdisciplinary artist Rael Ramirez, meanwhile, encouraged everyone to serve as inspiration to aspiring artists. Uh, by promoting critical thinking, embracing individualism, and celebrating the values underpinning our freedom, we can pave the way for a more enlightened, and creative future. Together, let us strive to uphold these ideals and inspire the next generations of artists, thinkers, and change makers. Consul General Patron urged the Filipino community to support the Malaya exhibit, which will end on June 30th. The exhibit is open to the public, but those who would like to visit must sign a registration form. Jihan Risanko, ABS-CBN News, Calgary. In entertainment, Hollywood star Chris Hemsworth meets his fans in the Philippines during the red carpet premiere of his new Netflix film, Extraction 2. Hemsworth and director Sam Hargrave shared the challenges they had to overcome in shooting the sequel of the blockbuster action film. Gretchen Folido has that story. Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is in Manila. But this time, he's back as Tyler Rake for Extraction 2, the sequel of his Netflix blockbuster film. Feeling good. We uh, flew in last night, and um, I feel rested and excited to be here, and thank you very much for the warm welcome. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. 
<laughs> you were clinically dead nine months ago. But you fought your way back. You came back for this. Why? In Extraction 2, Hemsworth reprises his role as an Australian black ops mercenary. He and his team are tasked with saving the family of a ruthless Georgian gangster from a prison where they're being held. Chris Hemsworth says it took months of training and weeks of rehearsing and choreographing the long take fight scenes and stunts. The wonder is pretty special. You know, I was on top of the train and there's a helicopter about 20 feet in front of me flying backwards. The elevated risk was going to give us an elevated um, reward performance, an elevated effect, I think, for an audience. Watching Chris put himself on the line day after day like lighting yourself on fire for for all of you it wasn't just because he was cold out it was for all of you i think that deserves a round of applause <laughs> i enjoyed lighting chris hemsworth on fire ah, i think we did it seven or eight times i think it was yeah eight i think they'd light me and a few people on fire and then action and by the end of the sequence the instruction was if the fire is not out because it, it should burn off by then just Put it out yourself. It out. Oh, okay. so, oh, it's a great responsibility. <laughs> Be lit on fire and have to put it out. That's cool. Extraction 2 director Sam Hargrave, who's also behind blockbuster films Avengers Endgame and Atomic Blonde, was also deep into stunts as he shot Extraction 2. One of the craziest things we did on Extraction 2 was land a, a helicopter on a moving train. So that, that was probably the most difficult shot for me. And there's a lot of force. Mm that allows that bird to fly. And walking under that's like walking into a hurricane. And it was so cold. It was, I mean, you, you know, it was below zero. Extraction 2 will be streaming on Netflix beginning June 16. Gretchen Furido, ABS-CBN News. Now, before we go, Apple unveils its long-awaited mixed-reality headset. The Vision Pro headset resembles high-tech ski goggles and mixes virtual and augmented reality. It's the first Apple product you look through and not at. With Vision Pro, you're no longer limited by a display. Your surroundings become an infinite canvas. Use your apps anywhere and make them any size you want. Capture photos and videos and relive your most important memories in an entirely new way. Watch your movies, shows, and sports, and immerse yourself in games on a giant screen surrounded by spatial audio. And connect with people as if you're sharing the same space. Apple's launch sets up a showdown with Meta Platforms, which recently released its Quest 3 mixed reality headset with a price tag starting at $499. Now, Apple's Vision Pro, on the other hand, will set you back by an eye-popping $3,499, or get this, close to 200,000 pesos. And that'll do it for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Stanley Palisad. You can watch, or if you want to revisit today's episode, you can play back this newscast on the YouTube channel of ABS-CBN News and on ANC 24-7 on Facebook. Keep safe, everyone, as you keep it here on the news channel.